Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Misadventures with the Narcissist. I believe we are on episode 61, which is crazy. Thank you so much for everybody for being here and for checking in to this episode today. So I, I've i had a lot of time to think. My kids, I think I mentioned it in the previous episode, my kids are with my ex-husband for the summer, and I have had about, I think it's been about two weeks, maybe three weeks now. Um, time it just seems to be flying by, but I think it's been, um, they left at the end of May and it's the middle of um, June right now. So like two, two or three weeks. And I have had a lot of quiet time, a lot of time to process, a lot of time to really just be with myself. And during that time, I've just been finding myself like out of nowhere, like I'll watch something on TV or I'll see something on the street or I will hear something in a podcast or see a photo on Facebook and I just start like this deep grief kind of comes over me and I start crying. Now, it doesn't happen every day, but it's happened enough where I just really started to notice and to pay attention to it. So I thought we would do this episode and talk about grief and how I'm processing grief and how it's shown up for me. And hopefully this will help all of you in your grieving process as you are healing from narcissistic abuse. Because I think there's like, there's definitely grief when people get divorced, right? Definitely grief. But I think there's even more grief when you are getting divorced from a narcissist, whether you're the one who filed for divorce or asked for it or whether it's them who did it. But I think the grief is is just a little different. And, you know, I don't want to say deeper because divorce sucks regardless. <laughs> um, but I think there's just a different layer to it that may not be there when someone who was not married to a narcissist is um is dealing with so i wanted to start off by looking up the definition of grief on google so it says grief is deep sorrow especially that caused by someone's death and then it also says wikipedia says grief is the response to loss particularly to the loss of someone or some living thing that has died, to which a bond of affection was formed. Although conventionally focused on the emotional response to loss, grief also has physical, cognitive, behavioral, social, cultural, spiritual, and philosophical dimensions. And I totally agree with that. Now, grief is technically, I guess by definition, meant to signify your sorrow caused by someone's death and I would argue that when you are divorcing you know even though someone has technically not died there is still a lot of death that takes place right there is you know to me that the definition of death is when something just ends right like it's no longer there in the form that you knew it to be, right? So when someone dies, depending on what you believe or don't believe, 
they have a soul or a spirit that goes on. But again, not everybody believes that. So everybody's definition is different. But to me, dying just means um, you just don't have access to that in the same way that you had before. And I think with narcissistic abuse, this could not be more true. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I, um, I, I, I was talking to my kids the other day and they said, oh my God, mom, guess what? And I was like, what? You know, they're like, dad proposed to his girlfriend. They're getting married in two years. And he proposed to her on a, you know, he took her on a helicopter ride and then he proposed to her. Now they're both so happy and, and all of that. And initially my thought there was never a thought of, wow, like, I wish, you know, I could get back with him. Like, that has never even crossed my mind um, at all. But I did have this thought of, wow, he never did that with me, right? Like, he never, um, he never took me on a helicopter and proposed. He never took me on a helicopter, period. And I just remember, if you guys remember, um, I think I might have mentioned this in the first episode, but the way he proposed to me was um, in our hotel room. It was not even a proposal. And I'll, if you haven't listened to that episode, I'm pretty sure it's episode one or maybe two where I talk about how he proposed. But we basically were on a trip to Europe and he was really upset that my sister and her boyfriend at the time had come with us. And he said that he just did not have time or found the right moment to propose to me. So he was really mad, like he was angry and upset and giving me the silent treatment and being upset with me that for some reason he could not propose because his excuse was that my sister was there. And he proposed to me, we had just gone on a day trip, we had gone, we were in Poland, and we had just gotten back literally from a concentration camp. Like, we had just been in the most, like, just saddest time and the most, like, emotionally draining and exhausting and sad and just, I mean, you know, you can imagine what it's like to go and visit history and learn about the concentration camps and what took place and seeing pictures and just being in that energy. And it was, it was really dark. It was just really depressing and sad. And we had just come back to our hotel room. We were both like really sad. And, um, you know, I think we were waiting for dinner. I can't remember, but it was just this really somber, mood that we were both in and we were just on our bed watching tv we were like in our pajamas or underwear or whatever and he just turned to me like out of nowhere and he goes hey want to get married and I looked at him he didn't have a ring or anything like that and I looked at him and I was like yeah (laughs) you know let's let's get married we'll get married didn't get on his knee you know didn't have a ring didn't create like this special moment or you know or anything like that that you know and I guess everyone's proposals are different obviously and you don't have to do it this way um and I didn't even really know what I wanted it wasn't like I told him that I want this ring and I want you to do it here and you know 
I had not specified anything about how I wanted the proposal, but I just remember feeling like feeling excited that he proposed and feeling like, wow, this is the rest of our lives. And then feeling sad. I'm like, well, do I not get a ring? Like what's happening here? And um, just feeling like this is not special. Like we're both really sad right now. We just returned from a concentration camp where we had spent the whole day. And this is just not how I was envisioning our proposal. But of course, I didn't say anything. Of course, I didn't, you know, I just let it go. I was like, well, yes, the thing is that we're getting married. I said, yes, like that's all that matters. And I think looking back at it, like after, um, after I, and I can't remember, maybe this hit me like while we were still married or as we were getting divorced, but I just remember thinking like, I got cheated out of a proposal and this is not how anybody should be proposed to, right? Um, and again, everybody does their own thing and everybody has their own expectations, but it just didn't feel right. And I remember feeling grief around that. Like anytime I would see somebody who, you know, who's partner had planned this whole thing or just made it special and made the person feel really special. I just remember feeling grief and feeling like I never had that. Like I never got to experience what it feels like to just have someone who's totally, you know, head over heels in love with you propose to you and make it special. I just never had that. And I think there was a lot of grief to that that I didn't even realize until I think most of it really hit me after we got divorced and just looking back and kind of playing everything back and thinking about, I just never had that. And I think there were just so many moments like that, that signified grief even when I was married, like even with the things that he was doing, I just remember feeling a lot of grief. So there was that grief of, I never had the right marriage and not even the right marriage. Cause obviously marriage means different things to different people and everybody has different expectations of it. But I think I've just really been feeling lately and I think this is part of my healing process from narcissistic abuse just about feeling all the grief and really like letting it letting my body feel it in order to heal it and I know it's not easy right because it's not easy to go back and to um to relive these moments and these feelings and I also know it's not healthy to ruminate and to keep going back to things and like playing the tape in your mind over and over and over again. And, um, but I also feel like there's these things that really, um, I guess affected me that I never processed. So I think I am at the stage right now in my narcissistic abuse healing where I am just processing the things that I never really processed. And I think that is bringing up a lot of grief with, for me. And I also think it wasn't possible. I, I feel like 
healing from narcissistic abuse or healing from anything really is like peeling back the layers of an onion and you just with each layer that you peel something new comes up something new gets uncovered that you didn't think about before and i think for me right now at this moment is this grief and and not grief that my ex-husband moved on and is now engaged to someone else because that i don't you know i don't really care um too much about and it's like i know it's not real i know he's love bombing her and even if it was like it doesn't matter it doesn't concern me anymore but there was grief more on the thought of wow i never got that like i was um i was ripped off in a way right and i was ripped off in my whole experience with marriage and i think with raising children as well and this is something that has come up a lot in my um in my healing and one of you know one of the things about grief is that you don't know how long it's going to last it goes in stages there are different stages of grief right like there's shock obviously and i'm i'm looking at google right now where it says the seven stages of grief are shock denial anger bargaining depression acceptance and hope and processing grief and i think for me i am somewhere in between um step number 5 and number 6 where it's like depression and then acceptance and hope so i waver back and forth and then with some things i also go into the last stage which is processing grief and i think maybe you know maybe right now i am processing all the grief but at the same time it's like it comes up then i'm like depressed and sad about it then i accept it and i feel hopeful and then I process it. And sometimes I feel like all of those last three steps sort of happen in the same um, in the same container, if that makes sense. So it's not necessarily, it's like, okay, today I am going to be depressed about this. And tomorrow I am going to accept it and be hopeful for the future. And then the next day I am going to be processing it. Like, it's not like that at all. Um, it's more like in waves where it's like, one thing comes in and then another one is like leaving. So I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but it's just been, I feel like I finally had the mind space to look at and process some of the grief that I haven't really processed. And I think when I got married and obviously everybody has different ideas for what their life will be like and what their marriage will be like and children and raising children and all of that and i don't think anybody can be like the way i envision my life is exactly what happened right like that doesn't happen we all have ups and downs and you may have envisioned you know raising children one way but your child gets sick and you have to deal with a new reality or you may be married and your partner dies and now no one expects that no one's prepared for that nobody's really envisioning that so i'm not saying that um i'm not realistic because i do feel like with every like every person who's envisioning their life has this thing that they sort of want from life. And oftentimes it doesn't happen. Oftentimes it does happen. 
but I just feel like, and again, everybody's experience is totally different, but I just feel like for me, marriage was nothing like I had envisioned. Raising children was nothing like I had envisioned. And I think there is grief around that as well that I'm processing now because I feel like when I set out to get married, right? Like I was in my mid-20s thinking about, okay, I'm ready to get married. What what do I envision for my life? And what I envisioned was this like this beautiful partnership where we would be supporting each other and loving each other where we came first in each other's lives, where we were working to build something together. Now, I never, like, I didn't really have a vision of what we would be building together other than we would just be building a life together. But I do just remember feeling like I want my partner to be part of my life, right? Like, I want them to be involved. I want to be involved in theirs. And I want us to have children and be happy and raise children and, you know, have abundance and be fulfilled in our careers and professionally and personally and connect with each other and with our children and all of that, right? And I think these are things that most people would want if you were to ask them what they want from marriage, right? There is there's just this thing where it's like, I want to build a life with someone. Like that is the main reason I got married was because I wanted to build a life with someone. And I didn't necessarily know the specifics of what the life would be like, but I knew I wanted children. I knew I wanted both of us to have like our own, um, you know, careers and whether we took turns or not, like, I just knew I wanted both of us to be sort of, like, just partners in life, and I just remember, and I've talked about this in some previous episodes, but I just remember feeling like that was never really something that I experienced outside of having children, so I think the only time I really felt like I was a partner with my ex-husband was right after we had children. So there was this like, I don't know, three, four week period, let's say a month, a month period, maybe even less, because I think with each kid, it got to be less, you know. (laughs) Um, But I just really feeling like that was the only time in my marriage of 12 years and in my relationship where I felt like we were a team, where I felt like we're in this together, we're building something together. And it just, I think looking back and feeling like, wow, out of 12 years, I got maybe two months of feeling like I was really in partnership with this person. And we were doing something together and building something together. And I think that for some reason is just bringing me a lot of grief and just feeling like I, you know, I don't know what it's like. (laughs) Like, I don't know what it's like to really feel like somebody has your back and to feel like they want to do this with you. And I feel like most of my marriage, I felt like my ex-husband was just, 
like he had this career path that as an actor and theater director and um you know and creative career that he wanted and I just remember feeling like I am totally supporting him in his career and you know yes he did like when I first launched my business he did support me in that um and he did help me with my business a little bit and uh, but it always felt like he he would rather do something else right <laughs> like it even though he would help me take my packages to the post office when I launched my e-commerce business it just felt like it was a chore it didn't feel like he was excited to do it. it and again how much excitement can you have about going to the post office <laughs> and dropping off packages but I just never felt that excitement from him it was more like oh he has to do this now again you know and to the outside it's like oh wow you know he's coming with you to events and mailing your packages and putting you know printing out invoices but it's like he was not happy doing it it was he was like annoyed that he had to do it and i think there's a difference between having support like emotionally and physically from someone and just having support physically because with him i especially when he was helping me with my business it was more just physical it was like i could tell he was annoyed. I could tell he didn't want to do it. But at the same time, it's like he had no choice. You know, it's like I had just given birth um, to my children and I couldn't leave the house. You know, I couldn't get in the car and go to the post office right away and orders were coming in and they had to be fulfilled. And I just feel like I never, like, first of all, I never took any time off. After I had my kids, I was always working because I was always the breadwinner in our family. And I think that's the other thing that I have grief about, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but I just, yeah, I just never had that. And I just have so much grief right now. Um, for some reason, it's coming up right now about all the things that I never had that I thought a marriage would be. And Again, I never had a partner who um, who supported me financially. And again, not that I would ever get married for financial reasons, because that was never even a thought of mine. Like I always thought like we would both be contributing equally or maybe not equally, but like we would both be contributing financially and we would both be contributing um, with raising the kids and all of that. And there were times where he did contribute to raising the kids more than I did. But that's only, it's not because I didn't want to um, or I couldn't. It's because I had no choice but to work, right? Because he wasn't bringing in any money, I had no choice but to work. And because of that, um, it's like I couldn't take my kids to school, you know, um, because I had to start my work day. And there were other times where it's like, I wanted to raise my kids and help with the kids. And he was like, no, no, I got this, you know, you go work. So it's like, he just always was pushing me into this work mode where I didn't always want to work. And I don't know if this conversation would be different if the roles were reversed, right? Because I know men are sort of expected to be the breadwinners and to um to support a family financially while women are expected to do more of the 
child raising and we didn't have that in our marriage which is in some ways like I did want that like I did want I didn't want to be the primary breadwinner (laughs) you know like I wanted to make money and I wanted to be successful and I wanted us to have abundance but I didn't want that to be my main role like I wanted him to have a part in that and I wanted him to be a part of that. And he wasn't, you know, and he was just like, well, my career is not, and I remember him telling me, well, my career is probably not going to make us money until I'm in my fifties. And I, you know, and he was like, yeah, I'm just going to have to work a lot for free and do internships and fellowships and all of that. But I'm probably not going to be, be making any money until I'm in my fifties. So when your partner tells you that, right, which is what he told me, you kind of have two choices. You can walk away and you can be like, well, that's not going to work for me. Or you can be like, okay, don't worry about it. We'll work with that. Like, we'll make it work because that's your dream and that is your passion. And we got this. Like, we're in this together and we will figure this out, which is what. I chose, right? I could have walked away when he told me that, but I didn't. I was like, you know, I'm smart. I'm resourceful. I could figure out a way to make money and it's okay. Like I love him. I don't mind doing all of these things because that is what a marriage is. And I just even remember feeling like I am so excited when we're going to be in our fifties and we get to like travel the world together like after our kids you know are off to college and doing their own thing and we're gonna get to travel the world together and um and I'm just happy to like go with him wherever his job is because he had talked about like directing in London and directing in Italy and Spain and Australia and you know all of these places and I was like that sounds so exciting (laughs) right like a life where we get to travel together and we get to be together, right? And I can make the money, you can do your directing, like we'll both just be really happy. And I just remember the first time that he did get a job um, across the country, it was like, and I've talked about this before in other episodes where um, I was like, oh, I'm so excited, you know, like this was right after we had our third daughter um, and he got this opportunity to go to San Diego for like six weeks and direct. And I had just given birth to my daughter, (laughs) you know, it was a little crazy, but I just remember feeling so excited and feeling like, you know, this is what we, we've been waiting for. And initially, you know, I was like, can we all go? And he was like, no, I'm going by myself. (laughs) And then as soon as I heard that, I was like, well, we can't, like, I just had, you know, I just had our, our daughter, you can't just leave me. Like I have, we have two other kids. Our lease is about to end. Like you can't just leave to San Diego and go there for six weeks to work because just the timing is not right. And I just remember him being so mad and so resentful that I said no to that. And it was like one of the first times in our marriage where I actually said no, and he still uses that against me. <laughs> He's still like, oh yeah, you know, you didn't support me and um, you crushed my dreams. And I had this opportunity to go to San Diego. And it's like, I was all for all of us going to San Diego. 
and I would watch the kids and do our thing during the day and you could go and work. And I was totally fine with that, even though I had just given birth to my daughter, right? I'm like, this would be so exciting and such a cool adventure. And he was just like, no. And I want to take this back to grief because I still feel a lot of grief around all the things that like, that we didn't do and all the things that I didn't get to experience when I was married. And I have, and only, and the reason I think I have grief is that some things you can only experience when you're married, right? Um, Like you can't experience these things with friends or anything like that. And there was just so much in my marriage that I did not get to experience. And I think I just have so much grief, like literally so much grief around that. And I also think it's important to really do recognize and be grateful for the things that I did have in my marriage. And I think ultimately that is what actually led me to stay for so long is because there were some other things that I did have that I was like, well, yeah, this is what married life should be like and what I want out of married life because I guess there's no no universal should right everybody has their own definition of what they want their own marriage to be like but there's just so many things that I didn't experience that now when I do see them I get really sad and I was actually what prompted me to do this episode today is that I was watching one of my favorite YouTubers, and they are a couple, they're a younger couple, they don't have kids, but they were just starting their experience with van life and going around the country, visiting like different national parks. And, you know, not necessarily that I I wish we did van life, um, because that's a little harder to do with three kids. But I, I just, it just reminded me of going on vacation with your partner. And feeling that excitement and the adventure and the thought of exploring together. And I think for me, anytime we did go on vacation, it was all about, it was weird. It was like, it was about the destination, but only because the destination was where he had friends or family. So it was it was never about our adventure. It wasn't like we are going on this vacation and we're going to experience these things. It was like, we're going on vacation. And once we get there, I'm going to see my friend. Or once we get there, I'm going to see my family. And even like now that I think back, I talked about my honeymoon, how we decided to go on a 30-day cross-country trip. And even that, now that I'm looking back, I'm like, gosh, it was all about visiting different destinations where he could see his friends and yes we did we stopped by I remember we stopped by in Wisconsin to visit my cousin who was living there at the time but other than that um it was literally all about his friends so we went to um Chicago to see his brother then we went to Portland to visit a friend of his. Then we went to Oregon to visit another one of his best friends. Then we went to LA to see like his ex-girlfriend and some of his college friends who had moved to LA. And it was just all of these different destinations that we would go to to visit his friends, right? Like this was our honeymoon. <laughs> but 
but it turned into this cross-country trip to visit friends and family that he had. And yes, obviously, we still went to places where we didn't know anybody and we couldn't just, just be there with ourselves. But so much of it was all about where he can go visit his friends or his family. So that's something that I feel like, I don't know, it's it's weird because I was okay with it at the time. I was like, well, this is great. We get to see other people and make stops along the way where we can have friends and all of that. But just looking back, it just literally feels like it was it was his own way to see his friends. It was not literally not about our honeymoon. It was about him visiting his friends and even trips that we would take later on. It was about his friends and his family and the few times where we would go on vacation because I wanted to go there. It was really unpleasant. Like it was just very, he would give me the silent treatment. And I've talked about this in other episodes before, but I think just looking back and seeing that young couple on the YouTube channel that was so triggering for me and thinking I wish I had that like I wish I had a husband who wanted to be with me and experience things with me not because he wanted to go visit his friends so I don't know if that makes sense but it's just little things like this or I was talking to my sister and her and her husband are super close they talk all the time and she texts him all throughout the day and they check in and they make decisions together and you know like they really are working towards something that is a common goal and a life together and they bounce ideas off each other and they talk and they communicate and they do what's best for both of them and sometimes you know, he has to give in, sometimes she has to give in, but it's this give and take where you're working as a team. And sometimes you have to take one for the team, obviously. And other times you have to go for for it yourself. But I was talking to my sister and she was messaging with her husband at work. And again, it just triggered me because I was like, God, I never had a husband who was okay with messaging me. Like anytime I would think about messaging him, I would think, okay, is he going to get mad if I'm messaging him now? Right? So oftentimes I would just wait and not say anything because if I would message him at work, he would be like, why are you messaging me at work? We can talk at home. If I messaged him when he was out with his friends, he would say, I'm out with my friends. Why can't you wait until we get home? If I messaged him when he was with his family, he would just say, we'll talk when we get home. So it was just this constant fear, like constant walking on eggshells for me, where like I would just, I want to ask him a question during the day or let him know that I was thinking of him or whatever it is that I wanted to message him about. I would just sit there and be like, should I send this message? Is he going to get mad? And then I would be like, well, this is really important. I have a reason to send him (laughs) this message. So hopefully he's not going to get mad because I can explain myself as to why I'm sending him a message at work, right? (laughs) Or when he's at the movie theater or when he's out shopping or it was just always like, well, why can't it wait until you get home? You're so needy. You're so um, codependent just because I wanted to message him during the day. 
and I was just I think I was grieving that I never had a husband who was like oh it's so good to hear from you right <laughs> like I, I don't think I ever heard it's good to hear from you or thanks for thinking of me or thanks for writing or it was just always like why, why are you writing at me at work or why are you doing this I'm at work and I remember when we first started dating which this should have been a red flag but I remember him coming home from work and being like I need an hour to unwind because I talk to people at work all day and I don't want to talk when I get home and yes I guess I understand you need some downtime and you need to um to unwind when you come home from work and especially if you've had a job like he did where he was working with people and talking all day which was different from my job because I would be sitting down on my desk all day by myself you know so it was just this thing of he comes home from I couldn't text him at work because he would get mad and why am I not waiting until we get home then when he got home he would say he needed at least an hour to unwind so he would literally just sit there and play Xbox or Nintendo or whatever video games they had at the time for an hour or sometimes even more and totally zone out and then it was just like I had limited access to him which was really weird <laughs> considering that we were married and I had to constantly weigh the pros and cons of okay is it the right time for me to say something now because it can be at work. It can be within the first hour when he got home from work. It can be while he's cleaning. It can be while he's cooking. It can be while he's talking to a friend. <laughs> so I just constantly had to play this game of, is this the right time for me to try and connect and talk to my husband? And I think I've been grieving that too, just feeling like I was married to someone who was unavailable, who was emotionally unavailable, physically, I guess physically he was available, but not obviously not when he's at work or anything like that. But he was just like, I had to fight for his attention. I had to constantly in my head to just think about, is this the right time for me? to communicate with him or am I gonna quote unquote get in trouble and yeah I've been really grieving that too like when I see couples working towards something together or working together even on a business or even just driving the van on a cross-country vacation because they enjoy each other's company without having to have a reason or a purpose other than we just love each other and we want to be with each other. What does that feel like? I don't even know. I think it would just feel so strange to just be like, somebody actually wants to hang out with me and not just use me for my money or to get to a destination. I don't know. It's weird. It's It really messes with my head. And I think I've been triggered now because of the fact that he took this fiance of his now his new supply and he took her in an in an helicopter and proposed to her and again that's messing with my head too because i'm like oh and i know all of us all of us who have been through narcissistic abuse 
when they treat the new supply better or when they treat everyone else better, which they do, right? They treat everyone else better except for you. It's hard to think that it must have been me. It must have been me who brought out this bad side that he couldn't give me what he could give to anyone. So again, I don't play that game anymore because I know this is not about me. And I know that the only thing I provided was supply and I gave him like unlimited supply, which is why things turned out the way they did. But yeah, I think I just grieve the fact that I was treated differently and I didn't have the experience of a loving, caring, warm husband who actually wants to be with his wife. And I I do have a lot of grief around that. And I think especially when my kids tell me, oh, he's doing this with his new supply. And it's like, I know, I mean, I don't care why he's doing, but it's like, I know part of it is because he's still love bombing her. I know part of it is because he is hoping that my kids will tell me and that'll hurt me, which obviously it does to an extent, but it also doesn't because I just know this is part of his game. But it's just interesting. It's just this idea of grieving something and thinking, I never had that. Like I was married for 12 years and I never had that. And seeing it in other people where they give each other that. And part of me is, it's not jealous because I'm not jealous, but I just get sad. I'm like, wow, what, what would it be like? to be with somebody who actually wants to be with you and who loves you and cares about you and makes you a priority. What does that, what is that like? I don't know. I, I guess I hope to find out one day. I hope that my next relationship will bring me that. But I think what I've been feeling recently is just this grief that kind of comes and goes. And it's just that grief of I never had that. I never <laughs> I never had the proposal in the helicopter and I never had the husband who you know couldn't wait to come home to his wife and I never had the husband who couldn't wait to go away on vacation with his wife and it's just yeah, I just never had that and I'm having to sit with the grief of that because it's yeah it's pretty heavy but i think i'm i think i'm processing it and i think it's just a natural part of the healing process and with all of the emotions grief is definitely a huge one when it comes to narcissistic abuse so that's what i want what i wanted to share with you guys today i don't know if anybody else has experienced grief in this way, or if you have thought about it this way, but if you have, I want to let you know that you're not alone and it's something that is totally something that can come up for you in your healing from narcissistic abuse. So yeah, I think that's where I want to leave you guys today. Um, Thank you so much for listening. 45 minutes in, I really appreciate it. And I just think it's wild, this 
narcissistic abuse recovery and healing journey. It's so wild because it it's so different, I think, than healing from divorce. Because, the, I mean, not that healing from divorce is easy because it's not. It's never easy. But there's just another layer upon layer upon layer with narcissistic abuse that you just uncover. And it's like, wow, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. How, how did I stand for that? How? But it's okay. I'm not beating myself up. I'm not, it's not a a thought. I think I've moved past feeling like this is my fault and I, I did something wrong. I am way past that. And none of you who have been the victims of narcissistic abuse have done anything wrong. The only thing you've done wrong in the eyes of the narcissist is that you were loving and caring and being yourself and being authentic and being truthful. And I think we were all attacked because of that, because that's something that the narcissist could never be. And it's something they they could never say about themselves. So it's, I feel like we all did everything right. <laughs> I mean, not like, obviously I've made mistakes. I'm, that's not what I'm saying here. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect by any means, but we were just, um, we were just, I guess, chosen or picked because of all of the good qualities that we had. So I think when I think about that, it definitely helps. I think it helps with the grief and it helps me to feel like this was not about me. This was not um, that I'm unlovable and that I'm a wife who a husband would never want to come home to or I am all of the things that I've mentioned in this episode and previously. So anyway, I'm just rambling right now. But yeah. That's where I wanted to leave you guys today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you in the next episode. Bye.